Well, the gremlins may be there, but we weren't defeated, were we? Wasn't that just great? Well, how is everyone? Good? Just kind of sleepy? Too much Memorial Day last week? What are we doing? Well, it was good to um, get back to see some family, but I, I told my wife, I said, I think the South Plains of Texas are declaring us residents. Because when we went to visit, there was a tropical storm tracking right over my hometown. We get there, not a drop of rain. <laughs> Isn't that something? Today we will uh, be going to the Gospel of Mark in the second chapter. Um, kind of a background about Mark. Mark's uh, Gospel is fast. If you're reading through it, you need to read it with a high cadence. I mean, you need to be booking. It's missing stuff. Do you know there was no Christmas in the Gospel of Mark? It's not. There's no even ascension. It's Jesus' life, starting with John the Baptist, and everything is moving quick. If you root for the disciples, this isn't the book to go with. Because the disciples seem to, to mess up. At every corner, their, their faith is not quite yet developed. Jesus is kind of harsh to them, putting them down to some degree. But there is a sense of urgency found in this gospel that I think is lacking in some of the other ones. You find that in the vocabulary. Immediately, Jesus did this. Immediately, they went to the next place. Just read the first three chapters and count how many immediately's there are. I'm going to get you to do it because I didn't. There's a bunch. But it moves quick. And so what do we do with this gospel? I, I've, it's not been a favorite of mine from time to time. Because it doesn't make you just feel warm and cuddly about being a Christian. It, it leaves something lacking. It kind of challenges us on how we are. Because if we become a follower of Christ and we're reading through this, and if you're reading through it like a serious student of the Bible, which we all should be, you will notice something. It doesn't say Jesus took care of everything. It all worked out fine. It is the story of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, what he did, the difficulties faced. And then there is a puzzling question. One of the women sitting at the tomb doing nothing. So reading this gospel, you will find an urgent call to do something. To do something about what you have just heard. If you read this and you fail to respond, you fail to follow Christ. Because you can't read this story as portrayed by Mark of the good news without feeling a sense of, well, if no one else is going to do it, I'm going to have to do something about it. Because that is how it makes you feel. And today, uh, we will begin in chapter 2, and if you go through the first two chapters, you will notice Jesus is already facing many controversies. His disciples are kind of getting in trouble, and we haven't even solidified the twelve yet. And so, just before this, there is a question about fasting. You know, there's a story of disciples going through a field on a, on a, a day, and they're plucking food, you know, this kind of stuff. There's all these different things. So, what are they supposed to do? Jesus compares this to kind of uh, a wedding feast. 
He's pulling right out of their own playbook. Because in this feast, uh, the wedding party doesn't fast. Why? Because the bridegroom is present. You know what you do if you fasted at a wedding? You'd basically be making a claim that I don't approve of this union. I mean, we go to a wedding and somebody offers you a wedding cake and says, No, I'm not going to eat a wedding cake. Doesn't happen, does it? I mean, at a wedding, there's no calories in the cake, right? You eat it. It would have been like that. And so today we pick up with the story of the disciples heading through a grain field on a Sabbath day. It says, and starting in verse 23, and we'll read this first section. It says, On on one Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those, he and those who were with him how he entered the house of God in a time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is even Lord of the Sabbath. And so there we have this scene. But let's back up. Why are we preaching on this today? Do we have a problem with religion, our spirituality, or this idea of being Christ followers? Because we can break it down. Many times these sermons are preached because there is a problem within the congregation. And sometimes it's, we're too wrapped up to religion. Now, I remember back as a kid, we don't do this anymore. At least our church doesn't do this anymore. Do you remember the offering envelopes? I've made this comparison before. When you take out an offering envelope out of the back of the pew, it would have, did you read your Bible every day? Did you attend prayer meeting? Did you do this? Did you do this? I mean, it was check marks that you had to mark off that you did as you were putting your money in these envelopes, as if it gave more credit to the money you just put in the plate. It was an idea, and in the Baptist world, to kind of keep you accountable. You know, Baptists, we're good business people. We know how to track things. We like data. We want to know all these things as the spiritual well-being of our people so we kind of want to track this data but in many ways because of our business acumen and, and our background and stuff we as Baptists tend to turn church into a business model in, into a checklist of do's and don'ts you know have you ever uh, read a book about growing your church I mean it's got all these things to put in place and these things and you know the good ones will tell you at least start with prayer but it, it is a model it is a prototype if you will if you follow these things you're guaranteed to grow well what if your church is in west texas and the town that you live in is declining are you guaranteed growth no not really you can sure mess it up a whole lot worse but follow these churches that have had tremendous growth there are a few in small places that have grown beyond what should have. And that's God working. So don't, don't get me wrong on that. But many of these places you look at. My hometown in particular. Now the town itself is kind of like most towns. It's shrinking at best. But there are pockets of town that are growing. It's about 45,000 people. And the church my wife grew up, they are growing. Their sanctuary is full and it's great to see all those people. I mean Memorial Day, they were packed out. 
I don't think we did so hot, did we? I watched the video. <laughs> and you look at it, well, what are they doing different? Not much different than what we are. They teach Sunday school. They have a youth program. They're doing the basic thing. But what you see is that their population is growing around their church. They're not gaining converts far as unchurched people, those who had heard the message for Christ the first time. They're not growing in those numbers. They're growing in numbers, yes, but it's from other churches. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong of them because it is good to invest in the community. And if you live here, you should invest in a local church. And that's what many of these people are doing. But you can look at their charts and you can think they're doing something spectacularly different than us. They've got the right recipe, but the right recipe is there. they're in the right place at the right time. That has a lot to do with it. And, and so I bring us back to this question of Sabbath. What do we do with it? Is this this idea of religion that we are supposed to do? Because you read the Old Testament and keeping the commandments of God was very important. It still is today. We can even read Jesus' later uh, Sermon on the Mount. You, you've read that one. I hope you have. It's a great read. It's great to preach on. It's great to study. But Jesus didn't come to throw out the law. He came to fulfill it. He came to bring a resurrected reality to a dead people, to reinvigorate them so that they may do the work of the kingdom here and now. Because with Jesus' advent, with Jesus' coming, he brought in a new era of the kingdom of God. With Jesus' crucifixion, he opened the door for all to come in. And so they did. They came in. And they started doing stuff. But right now, we have to back up. Jesus had not yet been crucified. He is coming into Judaism, into the Jewish people, into a time where they looked for a Messiah. Many of which missed that Jesus was that Messiah that was prophesied from times of old. There was different religious sects. These different ones in Judaism. And in many reasons, they just thought Jesus was another leader of another Jewish group. And they expected his disciples to act like these little offshoots of the mainstream. That they would practice fasting and obeying the Sabbath regulations. But they were different. They didn't fast like these other pious Jews. Because they were with the bridegroom. They were at the wedding party. Jesus said, there will be a time for you to fast. It's not now. It is after he's gone. And so they thought Jesus was just another one of these religious leaders that, that kind of raised to prominence and then would quickly fall away. But that wasn't Jesus. In these passages, there is a, a question of authority. And so, if you've read this first bit, it says they pluck grains. Now, to me, if I was a farmer, I don't want somebody walking through my field picking my grain. Do you? I mean, most of you are farmers here. You want somebody going through your fields picking your crops? Probably not. But in this day, that was allowed. It was called gleaning. They could go through, these poor people, these ones in need, they could go through the fields, and it was expected that the farmer would provide a gleaning. Now, they couldn't go with a sickle and all this kind of stuff, but if they wanted to pl pluck little heads of grain as they walked, it was okay. That wasn't what the problem these Pharisees had. 
with the disciples. It wasn't their actions. It was perfectly acceptable for them to do what they were doing. It was the time of the week. It was on the Sabbath day. For them, they considered that to be work. Now, they had a lot of what considered to be work and what was not work and what was allowable because they knew that, uh, you know, if you're a midwife and someone is going into labor on all days of the Sabbath, you can't just say, well, I can't work today. I'll come back tomorrow. It didn't happen that way. They, they had acceptable things that they could do. And for a midwife, she had to complete her job because whether she's there or not, that baby was coming out. And it could be bad for the mother and the child if she wasn't there to assist. And so many times we read these passages, especially in Mark, and, and we see and kind of get this bitter attitude towards the Pharisees and these scribes because they were the opponents of Jesus. They were the ones always at odds with them. But when we step back, this is the part I want us to hear today. When we step back and look at the life of the Pharisees and those scribes, we would have commended them. Because if we lived in Jesus' time, they would have been our deacons, our elders, our Sunday school teachers. They would have been the ones who read the scriptures and tried to make it plain for the rest of us. They thought about these things and they talked about these things with other rabbis and stuff. Because they wanted to make it easy for the people to understand. Because they knew the history of their people. They knew when it wasn't clear that the people tended to go in their own way. And their own way was always in the direction of sin. And so these Pharisees and these scribes would get together and they would talk about the Sabbath because it was an important one. They'd talk about what it meant to keep the day holy of reframing from work because, you know, God worked for, labored for six days in creation and on the seventh day he rested and he made that day holy and special for all of his creation. They would talk about these things and they would help the people understand how they were to live their lives. That doesn't sound bad, does it? Sounds like we could use some people like that today. We need people who are fired up about the scriptures, who can read and who can study and who can share a bit of their wisdom that they have gleaned on how we are to live our everyday life. It would have been easy if this wasn't the Bible but a list of instructions on how to be the best person we could be, but that's not what we got. We got a book full of narratives and stories about how God came down and lived among us. How we ate, how we slept, how we ate. We have these stories. And so these people who are now at odds with Jesus aren't the bad guys in society. They are the ones who would have been lifted up into a special place of prominence because they saw the scriptures and they saw the importance of following God the way they should. The problem is they didn't understand what they meant because they had not been fulfilled in Christ. And so when they saw Jesus, he did everything against what they thought a leader of their people should do. He encouraged his disciples not to fast, for he was with them. They had work to do. He did things on the Sabbath to benefit people, for he has the authority over the Sabbath, because as in God in creation created a special day to be holy. Jesus is taking that authority to give the people a day that is holy, but it is about restoration. It is about renewal. It is about rest. A day that it was intended. A day for the people who follow Jesus 
to revive so they could go out and continue to work those six days of the week to fulfill the kingdom demand in the here and the now. And then the story goes on. If it wasn't enough that the the disciples were plucking heads of grain on the Sabbath, it says, and again, he entered the synagogue in chapter 3. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? And the answer is, to do good. He said, or should you save a life or take a life? You should try to save a life. I mean, they couldn't answer this. And they were silent, it says. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored. It says, then the Pharisees went out and immediately, again that word, held counsel with Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Well, there's a lot wrapped up in this little bit of text. So in the conclusion, the Herodians, now this would have been as uh, saying, Ron Paul got with the people who started the Me Too movement and had a collaboration effort. I mean, this was like as far right and as far left working together. And basically they found a common goal And that was Jesus was bad for both of them. So for the Pharisees, Jesus was bad because he was opening up the scriptures to the people. And returning to the full meaning of what rest, what renewal, what restoration looks like in their lives. Because he was it. He had the authority over the Sabbath. He was going to release them from their slavery of the ritualistic practices of the Jewish people in this time. He was going to set them free to be who God had created them to be. He was going to make them whole. So how did the Pharisees know what Jesus was going to do that day? It said they were waiting for him. This wasn't the first time Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath. Many of Jesus' healing miracles were on the Sabbath day. Because what better day, the day of renewal, would these take place? We know that Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law from her fever on the Sabbath. We know other things that he had done. Jesus didn't work, did he? Unless talking is working. I guess you could use that argument, but that wasn't the argument. It was all in Jesus' words. He didn't even make a mud pie this time. So no, he stirred to spit in the mud, mirrored it on his eyes, healed the blind didn't do that he saw the man with the withered hand and he said come here stand here in the middle of them let them see you let them see your physical ailment and he did and he asked them a question on the sabbath day do good do evil save a life take a life they couldn't answer him Now, we don't really practice rhetoric today, but in Jesus' day, if you silenced an opponent, you brought shame on them. So in Jesus' action here, he shamed his opponents because he asked him. They knew what he was about to do. 
And in a way, these Pharisees, these ones who wanted to get rid of Jesus because of the danger he posed to their way of life, they claimed they believed that Jesus was a miracle worker sent from God because they wanted to catch him in the act. They didn't come to catch him as a charlatan to expose him for the fraud that he was. They came to see him do what God created him to do. And that was to heal people and to set them free from their bondage. They had to work a lot just to catch Jesus on the Sabbath, which makes this really ironic. Those who were so keen on keeping the Sabbath regulations of not to work and, and these kind of things really had to work hard to find Jesus here. And that's what they did. He says, stretch out your hand. Never even touched him. Didn't make him go do any special treatments. And the man's hand was restored. He is now redeemed. So someone who is able to, unable to prepare for himself or to provide for himself has now been restored. His life was not necessarily in imminent danger, but his livelihood was diminished. And today, without social welfare systems, not being able to provide for yourself was a great danger. You had to depend on the kindness of your family or even strangers if you had none for your very survival. And so Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. This was a day to set them free. And as I was telling the children that we don't honor the Sabbath day as the day of our week. We as Christians read these texts and we know that it's not the letter of the law that we follow, but the spirit of it, the one that Jesus enabled us to do. And so we know we don't have to keep the Sabbath day as sunset on Friday to sunset on Saturday. That is not our day. Our day is the Lord's day, the day that Jesus was resurrected. That Easter Sunday morning, that is a day we gather week out of week to set it aside and be holy. Now many of you may be saying, we got it. We know that we don't have to do all these special regulations and things like that. But remember, Jesus did not cancel the requirement of the law. He set us free from its bondage. In creation, God worked six days, and on the seventh, he rested, and he gave that day to the people so that they may rest from their work. There is a balance in all things. There is a balance in what we do, our spiritual practices, how we live our life, and what God calls us to be. And many times we can read, we've been set free from the bondage of this day and all of its rituals. So I can kind of go and do what I want. If I need to work, it says, you know, it's about human need. If there is a need, I can work and, and we can provide for the humanness of people. That has been an argument. But sometimes we have gone too far as a church. We are no longer bound to the rigidness, this fundamentalism has taught us in the past to where we can go out and can't do anything on a Sunday. But now we've gone too far. It's too easily to do something now on a Sunday and justify it 
oh, well, it's for, for the kids, it's for the, the grandkids, you know, it, it, it's harvest time. And I'm not telling you to stop because sometimes you need to do these things on a Sunday. If you're a medical professional, you need to get in. If a storm's coming, farmers, they've got to get their, their crops out of the field. But don't let your freedom be an excuse to forget about what God has given you. He has given you a day of the week so that you may rest, that your spirit may be renewed, and that you will be ready for His work, the work of the kingdom. It's always a balance, isn't it? If you take too much of your freedom, you end up forgetting why you were lost in the first place. If you take too much of the rigid rules to make sure you maintain a day, a time, an hour, an action, you are being crippled and harnessed and put in bondage again. So this isn't about religion. This isn't about spirituality. This is about being Christ followers. When the disciples were with Jesus, they did not fast. They witnessed Jesus heal people on the Sabbath to set them free. But there was a day when Christ was crucified that they fasted again because the weight of sin was laid on his back. It is our sins today that are laid on Christ's back. And it is at Calvary that we were released. But this does not negate the beauty of creation. Because in creation, God gave us a special time, a holy day, so that we may commune with Him as Father and Son. Because now, through Jesus Christ and the cross, we have an advocate. We can speak directly with God. We don't have to have a priest who practices sacrifices of animals to atone for our sin. That has been taken care of once and finally and forever. But if we take our freedom and we too easily push it aside, we'll go next week. Oh, you know that old saying is, I can find the beauty of God on a sunset on the lake. It's true, you can. That only works, though, if you take time to pray crack the Bible, meet with others. Because Paul reminds his church, don't forsake the gathering. Because you may be fine on your own. You may have a good connection with God somewhere other than this place. But look around those who are here today. Do you think everybody has that? If you have been given strength in Christ... And you fail to teach others how to find it. What is going to be your excuse when you give an account of your life? For that is why we gathered. Jesus said, I didn't come to those who are well, to those who are righteous. I came to the sick. We are all sick here today. And if you're spiritually able to leave this place with no need of gathering, that is great. I'm so proud that you have walked with Jesus the way you have. But that's not the rest of us. We need your help. 
We need you to remind us what it means to have a faith when we suffer tragedy and loss. When our bodies succumb to illnesses and sickness, we need you to come and visit us. So don't just think about yourself when it comes to keeping the day, keeping a day holy. Think about those in your presence. For God called us all his children. We are not only child. We are all in this together. So please join with me in a word of prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we are thankful for today. We are thankful that you have given us this opportunity to assemble in your house. To call each other brothers and sisters. To commune with you. To be encouraged by you. And to be given a sense of urgency for your kingdom, for your gospel. For as Christ came and walked around this earth, he brought with him a new kingdom. A kingdom that would be born from his blood. And Lord, as we leave here today, give us that sense of urgency that we are in the between times. We are in between times when Christ has called us his own but he leaves us to do his work, the work of the kingdom. For one day, as the Bible declares, Christ will return and collect his bridegroom. And he will call us all home, where we will suffer no more death. We will suffer no more pain. And the evil of sin will be eradicated from our midst. But until that day comes, you have given us an assignment. And that is to go to the ends of the earth, baptizing those who will believe. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Not just outside our doors, but everywhere that you have given us access. Lord, be with us so that we may have strength to do your work. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And now as we enter our time of invitation, if you have decided that Jesus Christ should be your Lord and Savior, you want to let everybody know about it, please come forward. If First Baptist Church um, is beating on your heart that you want to join, that you want to become part of this fellowship, please come forward. Or if you're in need of prayer, come forward at this time.
Eddie Smith, would you close our service with a word of prayer?